Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair with Andrea Simintov. And where are you? You are in Israel on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, the only place your computer needs to be set, except for one place, okay? I was having a very hard time. First of all, thank you for joining us live. And for those of you who are listening later on podcast, delighted. Okay, got a few letters this week. Um, I didn't prepare, forgive me, I didn't prepare some of the notes. I wanted to share some of the thoughts, so we'll get to those next week. But I wanted to say that I always say, don't move your radio, don't move your dial on the computer, stay here all day, and it is a good thing. But sometimes, sometimes, if you need a little bit of a pick-me-up, I discovered on um, a very popular, without saying it, it's a it's a music app, a music and podcast app. I just couldn't get to the things I needed to get to in my house, and I put into this music app in the search bar 60s, 70s, folk music. I have to tell you, my house is gleaming. I Just all this music from my holy youth that I just missed so much and I couldn't even remember. And it brought me back to peace protests and it brought me back to camping. And it brought me back to um, just sitting around campfires and being terribly smarter than our parents. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. So if you're feeling funky, a little bit blue, 60s, 70s folk music. All right. If you're any age near mine, you will really get a big blast out of that. Okay. Um, We are still, we are still, um, what's the word? Tender. A lot of tenderness in the air, these post-elections. And again, post-Israel elections. I am following what's going on in the States. I'm going to talk to you about it a little bit later on. But it's Israel politics, which deeply impact my life. And apparently this week, um, I'm embarrassed, I apologize to Mrs. Julie Platt, who is the chairwoman of the Jewish Federations of North America. I actually used to write for Jewish Federation newspapers. So, and I was part of that whole, I actually worked for federations until I got fired. That's a pri- it'll come out in the novel. I got fired from Jewish federations of North America. But anyway, um, apparently Mrs. Platt is a powerful figure in the American uh, Jewish world. And she came to Israel um, just this past week. She came racing to Israel because I guess that selectively, what affects Israel affects America or what affects America or the interests of America impacts on Israel for the good or the bad. And I got this report and apparently she, um, well, she didn't meet with one of the hosts of our program, Shai Ben Tekoa, but you know what? He's so wonderful. He's so clear. He's so cogent. He's so informed that I really have to, I don't genuflect before anybody, but I like what he says. So he reports that she was in Israel meeting with President Isaac Herzog to express, do I put quotes around this, how um, disturbed she was that extremist figures may become ministers in our incoming government. And um, so um, Shai Bentakoa 
opines, you know, he says that, you know, the next time you complain, uh, Mrs. Platt, about Jewish extremist figures, perhaps you should explain exactly how many terrorist horrors um, Itamar Ben-Gavir has committed. And then compare and contrast that number attributed to your big buddy. I'm extrapolating and there is a little bit of editorial sarcasm in here, but attributed to uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who is the head of the Palestinian Authority, and his Fatah boys. And um, Ben, ben Takawa also admits that Abbas is not an extreme, extremist figure and explains to Mrs. Platt that he's very, very normal in his society, like participating as he did. He's a, he's a group leader. He participated in the team that massacred Israeli athletes in Munich in 1972, the first victim who was castrated in front of his teammates. This is our peace partner, the same Abbas who since has presided over the naming of schools and parks in honor of numerous normal centrist Arab Muslim savages to whom we should be speaking, who have murdered hundreds of defenseless Jews. Tell me, listeners, tell me, Mrs. Platt, where do we take issue with the words and the cogent observation of Ben Tekoa? Maybe walk in our moccasins a little bit before you opine on what is best and wring your hands. Um, oh, by the way, this is the same Julie Platt, I may add, who was quoted as saying on July 7th, I think it was July 17th, June or July 17th, her last visit to Israel, um, this was her quote, Jewish life can't flourish if you're afraid to go where it's happening upon her arriving in Israel. So what is it? Two sides of the same mouth? Live here a while. Send your children to school. Go to synagogue. Go to weddings. Go shopping in the Shuk, your local market, and in the shopping centers of Sederot. And then wring your hands and tell us who exactly the right-wing fascists in our government are. Then you have something to say to us. Okay. Talking about, um, oh, I have to watch the clock here. Oh, Bo, uh, Boker Tov, Romper Room. The U.S. is listening in. It's late at night there. Huh. Israel is with us. This is how we're like getting ready for Shabbos show. Okay, are we excited? Um, Boker Tov, Eretz Israel. Um, Japan is with us this morning. Very nice. Haven't seen you guys in a while. Romania is with us. Canada. And I do want to say, um, anybody listening in from there, if you feel like writing, feel like taking issue, would like to know the actual source of some of the articles that I, I, I quote, uh, drop me a line, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Happy to get the mail, and I would like to write back to you if you want. If you want to interact, I have no friends. You're it. Okay. Um, this past week, ever since the elections, it was a little too hard to read. But, you know, I felt this, I had this obligation to read, not just because of my role here behind the mic, but you know what? So many friends, true friends from overseas who are lovers of Israel, friends of everything we do, who walk around with that little film of shame that they have not yet made Aliyah, ask me what's going on. So I like to know what they're reading. And... Um, I scanned the headlines of Western newspapers almost every day. 
Um, and I discovered that within 48 hours of the announcing the results of our most recent campaign for prime minister, I think what was this, our fourth election or fifth election, the most excoriating headlines peppered the Western press. Now, if I had only been reading these headlines in um, of our right-wing radical implosion here in the Middle East, if it was merely relegated to the New York Times, the Boston Globe, Washington Post, CNN, other, can we say, left of neutral sources, I could have dismissed it. Oh, look at the hand-wringing, routine caterwauling, a little dose of anti-Semitism for good measure. But you know what? Like It's, it's just like clockwork. The, the needle on my how much do I care monitor, it's not really registering that much. The reason I'm even mentioning it is because we have friends like the, what is the name of her organization? The chairwoman of the Jewish Federations of North America. These are our buddies. The Jewish News of London's front page. I mentioned this last week. Big, bold letters, our worst fears. Clutching their their pearls in the ghettos of uh, Hendon and Manchester, pretending that the children who tremble in Sederot bomb shelters are less safe now because Israel has democratically elected a right wing government. I don't know if the editorial uh, board represents the sentiments of Jewish Brit, British Jewry. I really can't say that. But putting aside that hysteria, what do we get here? A lukewarm Mazel Tov from the anti Anti-Defamation League, congratulating Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu on winning the elections, wishing him well. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that's where it stopped? But then they go and say, you know, we are deeply committed to Israel's security. And uh, we believe that including these far right, I'm extrapolating, far right individuals and parties would run counter to Israel's founding principles. Uh, impact standing even among the strongest supporters. Are we getting a threat here? Their good witches are blatantly conditional. No mention that the founding principles are called gasp, gasp, Zionism. Not too convenient. On the same morning after the election, the American Jewish Committee stated, again, here we come. The compliments of vibrant democracy includes and represents tremendous diversity of thought, belief, ethnicity, and faith. As soon as they start tossing out the word diversity, stand back, put on your seatbelt. And it talks, AJC's advocacy will continue to strengthen Israel's security. Let me go on to the code to the important part. But they have a concern that some of the potential members um, of the governing coalition Um, may not put front and center pluralism, inclusion, increased opportunities for peace and normalization, regardless of the composition, will stand behind you. Once again, we, like chastised children, we take heed of that not-so-veiled disappointment in our current less-than-woke government, which needs no reminding from armchair leadership about pluralism, inclusion, or democracy. Ask those who aim to breach our borders and become part of this punitive, horrid society. Take a look and see where our enemy is represented all over. My name is Andrea Simitov. I'm gonna have some coffee and guess what? I'll see you on the other side.
Okay, we are back. Andrea Simitov, well, let me click into here. Here we go. Andrea Simitov, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Pull up a chair, pull up a futon. All right, so I gave you some very wonderful lifestyle advice at the opening of the last segment. Listen to folk rock from the 60s and 70s. Um, on a little bit deeper, more um, people-loving, you know, less self-involved, <laughs> so self-involved place, you know, open your eyes. I'm talking to me. Me is us, please. If ever anything sounds self-righteous and smug coming from behind this microphone, I ask you, please call me on it. Shouldn't happen, but um, things do happen. Last time I looked, I was still human, a little more so than most in terms of the bleeding heart part. But anyway, um, I, I had a lot of a lot of crummy news this week. Just crummy news. People, wonderful people, vibrant people, suffering. Diagnoses. You know, we hear it's meant to make us gasp. Um, we hear stuff that we consider abnormal. All of us want to live dancing, kicking, doing the horror until 120 when we when we return our souls to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. But it doesn't happen for so many. There's so many suffering, and um, I. Tell us, you know, we somehow um, autonomy, self-reliance, um, that not needing, that steel, that steel, those steely-eyed and I can do it myself attitude seems to be the prevailing myla, the desirable personality trait that people really aim to um, aspire to. And I was thinking... If we would open up our eyes, there are so there is so much loneliness out there. So many people who are certainly in Israel, I know, distant from family, um, either physically distant from family or emotionally, spiritually, uh, for many, many reasons. And last week, I think it was last week or the week before we spoke in the Devar Torah section, we talked about how angry, how deeply disappointed Rabbi Akiva was when he saw his own Talmidim, his righteous students, ignoring a sick classmate because the sick classmate really wasn't their level, wasn't their standard. They felt that um, paying attention to him or giving him really the time of day, we say, would diminish them. And Rabbi Akiva set the example, and he himself personally attended to the student, not just visiting him, but feeding him, helping clean it, whatever it was that the student needed. The student rallied, came back, and what did he say to Rabbi Akiva, who was not the physician in charge? You saved my life. How did he save his life? By caring by putting him in the crosshairs of his compassion. And I mention this because I know that I, for one, have several friends that are in the hospital, not close friends, really not close friends at all. And so many people I know, wonderful, holy people are leading the way and they have been in touch with the respective in-charge family members and asking if they can sit in the hospital with the sick person for portions of the day, just so that they should never be alone. And you know what I found out? Sometimes you have to ask two times or three times and follow it up with a WhatsApp or an email. 
But the answer will invariably, or at least more frequently than not, be yes. That would be wonderful if you would sit with mom. And then with a little bit of chutzpah, a little bit of nerve, delicious Jewish loving nerve, they may say, can you do from 9 to 2.30 on a Thursday? Or can you sit there on Motsi Shabbos Saturday night because we can't get there until very, very late? It costs so little to receive so much. So I tell everybody listening, if we go through our phone books, not just in the hospital, there's somebody who needs a phone call from you. And if not a phone call, a WhatsApp, an email, a thumbs up, thinking about you. Oy vavoy, to be thought of can save someone's life. And I just want to share, let's see, what else did I write here? Oh yeah, compassion. I think that compassion is like a muscle and that muscle needs to be worked. And if we don't exercise that compassion muscle, it will wither. It can wither until it absolutely atrophies. So I know that I, for one, am working hard. I don't suggest anything that I'm not struggling with myself. So maybe as a team, we can just bring this week as we enter Shabbos, thinking about even the week ahead, think about where we can pepper a little bit of compassion. Okay. Um, thank you. <laughs> Personal thoughts. Thank you for letting me muse here. I have to tell you, such gratitude for the mic. All right. Somebody's saying, wrestle away from her, get it away. Okay. So we, this week, on the day of the installation of the new Knesset, hours before, I think about 2.30 in the afternoon, Surprise, surprise, three holy Israelis were butchered, butchered in the city of Ariel, innocently by a gas station, getting gas for their cars, a rampage, a manic, to call it an animalistic attack would be insulting to animals, our beloved friends, a monster, I would like to say, of unequal unequal ugliness, but no, very equal ugliness, emerged and butchered three Israelis, family men, people who are doing all the right things. I don't know how many orphans are there today. I read 11 orphans, orphans, children growing up without their holy fathers, wonderful fathers, moral fathers, good fathers. And what was the reaction? The O2 expected reaction from the Arab world. Palestinian factions applaud heroic attack, vow to pursue resistance. If they didn't commit such bloodbaths, I would say tongue in cheeks, hey, that resistance thing, how that's, how's that working out for you so far? How are your children thriving academically? How are your wives and your marriages through your resistance program working out? I don't even know what paper I pulled this out of, which so beautifully described, illustrated in some parts of the West Bank and Gaza Strip. Palestinians were, doc were documented celebrating the attack by hanging, handing out sweets to passerbys and drivers. 
I can go on. We've heard this article before. We know this. It's been the routine. Quote, the operation demonstrates the ability of Palestinian people to continue their revolution and defend Al-Aqsa Mosque from daily incursions. The Hamas spokesman, Abdel Latif Al-Kanu said, you know, I wish I didn't hate them so much. It's a very uncomfortable feeling. It's such an anti-Jewish feeling. I almost gasp in disbelief. Blessing the bold operation in the settlement of Ariel. Just remember that dirty word, settlement. We're going to talk more about it. Okay? Once they use that, it defends all of their attacks. This is our... This is our reality, Mrs. Platt, as you fear. Understand the Israeli people. This new government was not, most of Israelis aren't right wing. Most of Israelis are not observant or religious Jews. Most Israelis are middle of the road with a healthy, healthy democratic peppering of left wing belief and the right wing government that came in was heartily voted in by people who know Israel far better than you do. For shame, shake, quake in humility, and recognize the reality here. Candy for butchering us. just as Thomas Friedman, New York Times writer. Who is he? He bemoans, he bemoans the title of his article shared by somebody. The Israel we know is gone, has demoralized the Jewish world. You know what? According to Gil Troy, a man with whom a writer, fabulous writer, I don't always agree with Gil Troy, but I love what he says. He says that the Israel that I and so many others know is not the Israel that Friedman ever bothered to know or the New York Times deems to cover. So let's say to the I wash my hands of Israel crowd, the Israel we know still lives, still with all our flaws and challenges, its greatness and possibilities, rather than jumping ship, jump ship. I can't support Israel. We're swabbing the deck. Rather than giving up on Israel because of some politicians, we won't give up on our lifelong mission to make Israel the best that it can be. The article goes on and on and on and on, but the bottom line is patriotism. Here's a good message from Gil Troy, and I say this to all of you who screamed, not my president, when Donald Trump rose to power. A dose of reality. Patriotism means loving your country, despite its politicians sometimes, beyond politics. Our hopes for Israel are not lost. Israel will not only outlast the bullying bigots of the moment, it will also outlast the sky is falling, chicken liberals like Thomas Friedman, who only think they know Israel. Andrea Simintov, see you on the other side.
Okay, we're back. We are back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair. Israel, Newstalkradio.com. So happy you're with us. And you know what? I see just recently joining us. Um, good morning, Iran. Wow. Wow. That's all I can say is wow. I don't feel equipped to discuss what is happening in your streets, in your classrooms, in your living room. And um, happy to have you join the show. Good morning, Iran. Good morning, Canada. Yeah, where were you this morning? <laughs> I don't like starting the show without seeing Canada because everybody knows Canadians are the nicest people and certainly the nicest listeners. Okay. If anybody from Canada is nasty and listening, drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and let me know how we can be friends. Okay. Um, this is our last segment, our fun, beautiful, uh, where we get spiritually psyched for the Shabbat Kodesh that lays in front of us. Um, And as I say, Torah lies everywhere. There is Torah everywhere. Even if there's no Sefer Torah, even if there's no synagogue, even if there's no mikvah surrounding you, Torah takes place in our supermarkets, in our health clinics, our, our nursery schools. It's all over visiting friends. We can live Torah. It's vibrant. And um, came across a story Actually, it was it's a segment of an essay written by Kurt Vonnegut. I think Kurt Vonnegut passed away. But I know that he was a very uh, popular writer of the 60s and 70s. We had to read him in, in advanced English in high school. That's right. I was in advanced English. So anyway, here, Kurt Vonnegut writes something which speaks very, very deeply to me as a parent. Vonnegut. When I was 15, I spent a month working on an archaeological dig. I was talking to one of the archaeologists one day during our lunch break, and he asked those kinds of getting-to-know-you questions you ask young people. Do you play sports? What's your favorite subject? And I told him, no, I don't play sports. I do theater. I'm in choir. I play the violin and piano. I used to take art classes. And he went, Wow, that's amazing. And I said, oh, no, but I'm not good at any of them. And he said something then that I will never forget, and which absolutely blew my mind, because no one had ever said anything like it to me before. Quote, I don't think putting good at things is the point of doing them. I think you've got all these wonderful experiences with different skills And that all teaches you things and makes you an interesting person, no matter how well you do them. Close quote. And that honestly changed my life because I went from a failure, someone who hadn't been talented enough at anything to excel, to someone who did things because I enjoyed them. I had been raised in such an achievement-oriented environment, so inundated with the myth of talent that I thought it was only worth doing things if you could win at them. I like that. Kurt Vonnegut, bringing a little Torah to my table. All right. This week's Torah portion is Chaye Sarah, the lives of Sarah. And we have a lot of commentary on this, so just stick with me, and hopefully your Shabbos will be as vibrant as I plan to have my Shabbos. Okay, Um, I frequently quote Rabbi Avigdor Miller, and he illustrates the importance 
of realizing the value of the gifts that Hashem has bestowed upon us through the following parable. So um, I actually am thinking about the Vanagat uh, quote there. But here is something more tangible that many of us can relate to. Imagine getting an email from the previous owner of your home who informs you that many years ago, when he lived there, he buried a treasure in the basement. Now he's nearing the end of his life and he wants you to have it. All of a sudden, your eyes pop up and you're wealthy. Oh my gosh, we're rich, we're rich. The fact was, you had that wealth all along. What you lacked was the knowledge that you owned something so valuable. This is what, in my opinion, the plethora, plethora, hey, there's no R on there, of Torah study is, avail- is about. Today, there's no one listening in who has an excuse to say, well, I didn't know where to go. I don't know how to start learning. Understanding that Hashem has blessed us blessed us with wealth and to understand the extent of our wealth, it doesn't fall in our laps. It's our job to reach out, open our eyes and to attain it. You know, this week's Parsha records for us the passing of our father and our mother of Avraham and Sarah. The Torah notes that these sad events, um, it, it, it just reports on them. And there's no like extra moaning, groaning, added passion or emotion. It doesn't even sound particularly sad. And that's because the Torah's view of life is that death is inevitable and death does not end life's influence. In fact, it does not end life itself. The whole idea of the story of Yitzchak, that's Isaac, Yitzchak's miraculous birth and his being saved from the altar of the Akedah is to emphasize to us the continuation of life and generations in a family and in the Jewish people generally. If Yitzchak is alive and finds his wonderful mate in Rivka, it's Rebecca, then Avraham and Sarah are also still here with us. The living generation always perpetuates the past generations, not only in photographs and memories, but also in deeds and accomplishments. The Torah emphasizes the merit of our forefathers of the previous generations, standing in good stage for later generations. But there's also a concept of later generations justifying and affirming the accomplishments of the previous of the previous generations. You know, a generation that sees itself in isolation without any true connection to the past and without any feeling of duty and responsibility to the future. That's a generation that feels that death is permanent. In order to avoid this mistaken and dangerous notion of life, the Torah describes the death of Sarah, our mother, with the words, Chayei Sarah, the life of Sarah, because she lives on throughout all of Jewish eternity. You know, our mother, Sarah, she had a very turbulent life. It was filled with frustrations, evil happenings, constant tension, Hagar and Yishmael, Paro and Avimelech. They're all part of her challenges. 
And even that miraculous gift of becoming a mother, Yitzchak, in her presence, it only adds to the tensions in her own home. She can't even survive after Yitzchak's near death, after that terrible trial. In fact, if we look at the lives of all of our patriarchs and matriarchs, we can come to a conclusion that Yaakov's assessment of life, the years of his life, few and difficult were my days, was certainly an accurate picture. However, this would be, according to Rabbi Wine, this would be viewing the lives of the founders of our people very, very narrowly. It, were these, it was these various troubles and the travails of their lives that fashioned them, created them, that made them these near superhuman figures that they were. Jewish life is a struggle. It always has been. A place where there always is tension and challenge, danger and soaring, hope and belief. The response to this condition, that's the test of every Jewish generation. Sarah lives on after her death because of her spirit and her determination during her lifetime. The Torah, our beloved blueprint, it is so accurate in portraying her death as still a life because deep down within us, there is this source of consolation to all of us who have lost our loved ones. They live on in our deeds, in our lives. There can be no greater comfort in viewing life and its inevitable, physical, earthly end than this important understanding and lesson. When we're talking about there's a wonderful word. Oh my gosh, I'll get the word. Um, there's a wonderful word when we when we inherit the legacy of the yichus, yichus, yichud. Um, I need a better translation for this yichus. Um, when we come from families who leave us legacies, Jewish legacies, holy level legacies. Um, it always makes me sit up. This past week, I want to share with you, I attended a wedding, watching the clock here. The celebrants hailed from two very important um, Israeli loving Zionist families whose history reaches far back to before, before the forming of the modern state of Israel. Like many Israeli weddings, there were approximately 500 people attending the Simcha, arriving from every corner of Israel. Let me tell you what was conspicuously absent at this wedding. There were no tuxedos. There were no neckties. I did not notice any beaded ball gowns. And there were no Jimmy Choo's. The male attendees wore clean white shirts. They all had sandals. I think everybody was wearing sandals. It was cold. Large knitted kipot, you know, those uh, knitted skull caps and tons and tons of beards, mostly the men. Uh, the women were wearing colorfully tasseled, elaborately styled head scarves, flowing dresses, handmade silver and gold earrings, and of course, the requisite sandals. 
There were no fancy wait staff at this wedding with trays of crudités or sushi during a cocktail hour. The bride. The bride, 19 years old, was surrounded by her friends who sang and played bongo drums while women chanted earthy, rhythmic songs that had been sung for centuries, generations indeed. There was a palpable excitement that enveloped the hall as a wail of a klezmer saxophone accompanied a raucous sea of dancing men, strong, loud, vibrant, macho, who accompanied the chatan, the groom, to see his bride for the first time in a week. Older, married couples looked at one another and they smiled remembering their own long-ago nuptials. The single women, friends of the bride, they appeared wistful as they dreamed of sitting upon the wicker throne themselves one day, beholding their grooms. The mood was joyous. It was romantic. It was subtly sexy. And it was authentically Jewish. So I've described a wedding, the party before the chuppah. But it was this chuppah, the wedding canopy, that took my breath away. We were outdoors. It was a mild November night. The stars and the moon shone particularly bright in the grassy courtyard. Four massive wooden pillars were raised high in the air. And the canopy itself was composed of talisim, ritual prayer shawls. The shawls that composed the chuppah, they had belonged to the grandfathers and the great-grandfathers of the couple. Just as everything else in the lives of these remarkable families, it made perfect sense to celebrate those who came before them and inspired a continuity of holy Jewish existence. Knowing from whence they came, they can feel a little more certain of the path they hope to take together. The entire ceremony was peppered with music, gales of laughter, loud cheers. A friend of the groom, I kid you not, operated a handheld electric bubble machine to the delight of the many children and young, you know, the grandchildren who were growing a little bit bored. Some non-observant Jews mistakenly believe that stepping on the glass at the end of the, the ceremony is a signal for the festivities to begin. And while it does denote the end of the chuppah prayers, religiously observant Jews know that the shattered glass is a sign of destruction, a reminder that we are still an exiled people without a holy temple. Thus, just before stepping on the wrapped goblet, 500 of us sang through our tears, If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its cunning. If I do not raise you, Jerusalem, above my chiefest joy. The glass is shattered, a couple weds, 
and Jewish life will, please God, flourish via this blessed link in our long and storied chain. What a wonderful event to occur in compatible with Parsha Chayasura. And there's a reason that I juxtapose this story of a pure and righteous wedding to the last two weeks of reactions from the outside. The pomposity, the voices of political smarm, conditional friends of Israel who attempt to manipulate outcomes that have no direct bearing on their lives. The wedding's host family are founders of an organization that provides interest-free loans and financial guidance to Israelis in need. All Israelis. Observing the crowd, my husband and I recognized scores of doctors, nurses, social workers, lawyers, teachers, 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 ambulance drivers, medics, and other people who dedicate their lives to the service of community and country. The young women in the room, as a majority, had all performed one or two years of national service, Sherut Lumi, and the boys in the room were soldiers, handsome, holy, patriotic sons and daughters of Israel who secure our borders and allow us to sleep at night. These jovial, wholesome people with whom I had the honor of sharing the dance floor are contemptuously called settlers. The Hebrew word for settlers has been covered on this show before, and I'll do it again, does not translate to colonists or usurpers. Mitnachalim comes from the, from the root word nochel, an inheritor or heir, H-E-I-R. Any other interpretation of the biblical injunction for B'nai Yisrael to inherit and work the land constitutes literary and inaccurate rewrite. It's a man-made twist to a divinely inspired pledge. But you know what? If I too relied on an antagonistic press to formulate opinion on Israel's policy and define these admirable Israelis, I might also view them with disdain. Let me tell you something. It is these salt of the earth individuals who bravely protect this tiny sliver of land that God bequeathed to us with little more than unwavering devotion to family, tradition, historical pride, Torah observance, and sometimes, too often, their very lives. I'm humbled in their presence. The miracle of Israel must not get lost in, in political discourse. The people have voted, and our miracle in the desert, I promise you, will prosper we will make mistakes. We will thrive and always struggle mightily with issues of cheshbon and nefesh, spiritual accounting. Just as the flowing river will not stagnate, Israel slash Jacob 
continuously wrestles with issues of human rights, never shying away from thorny cultural matters that may or may not align with the mindsets of respective members of Knesset. We don't need smug lecturing from those who profess to admire us from afar because Israel is less about bagels and locks and more about a fragile existence which relies on identity and values that were explicitly outlined in a 6,000-year-old blueprint called Torah. Anything else, well-meaning or not, is a facade. The word attitude in our closing today, the word attitude, it's really overused. How many memes do I get? Just up your attitude. Attitude will define your day. Fix your attitude, fix your life. What does Rashi have to say about it? According to Rashi, the Torah indicates that all of Sarah's years were equally good. To which I answer, say what? How can that be? The famine? that made Avraham go with her to Egypt only to be seized to become Paro's wife and the same thing which happened much later with Avimelech. In addition, it was not until the age of 90 that she even had a child. You know, even her death came from the anguish of learning suddenly that Avraham had almost offered up Yitzchak as a sacrifice Excuse me. The meaning of Rashi is rather that for her, in her devotion and attachment to the Almighty, her years were equally good. Nothing that happened to her had an adverse effect upon her piety and faith, her emunah. For her purpose in life, all of her years were equally good, and she never had any complaints to know that whatever is going on, as long as that faith in God remains, remains static, you will prevail. Perhaps Sarah's approach to life, indeed her attitude, is what we should be discussing this Shabbos at our table. Shabbat Shalom, umivorach, from Jerusalem. get the inside news on Israel. At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk 24-7.
from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Doris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 